Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome again to Armchair Booking. My name is Steve, and I would like to introduce myself and my co-host, Kyle. Say hi, Kyle. How you doing, guys? Are you having a, a Tuesday Night Titan event? Uh, hopefully some of our listeners will remember that one. The ones that don't, get with us later. We'll let you know. That was some good stuff. Uh, for tonight, we're going to continue on with our conversation with Mid-Atlantic. Um, we're going to actually be rebooking uh, Starcade 87, going over the, the matches that were there, but then we're going to also talk about, okay, how would we redo it? And then also, do we think it would have actually changed anything in the overall landscape of wrestling? Would, it, would the landscape today look different because of any kind of changes we would have made? So, um, and on that note, Kyle, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off to you. Starcade 87. Well, Starcade 87 headlined by rugged Ronnie Garvin and with Mr. Charisma as your top champion there, you almost get the impression that they killed the territory because business dropped big time with Ronnie Garvin as champion. So we, we talked last week about two things. One, he never wrestled after he beat Ric Flair for the title in October. Why? Um, for what they were saying on TV, if I remember right, you know, they wanted to keep it, keep him ready for Ric Flair. Um, I've also heard another podcast. They said, well, he actually did wrestle on house shows. Well, if it ain't on TV, it doesn't count a lot of times. Um, and sometimes the, the results from house shows didn't make it to TV. So, Starcade 87, a uh, couple couple matches on here, very very legendary as far as mem- memorable. The first one being a match I hate, and that's the <laughs> Skywalker scaffold scaffold match. And, and this in this one, it's Skywalker's two. This is the Midnight Express. Two. And the Rock and Roll Express. And, and what's what's the purpose of a Skywalker match? I, if I had to guess, I would say the one with the Midnight's and the Road Warriors piqued a lot of interest, and people liked it. It was a curiosity at the time, and they saw the Midnight Express, you know, fall off the scaffold, and they saw Jim Cornette legitimately blow out his knee. Um, so I said, okay, we did it once. It worked once. Let's do it again. But for that point, it just there wasn't much interest. We already saw that car wreck. And you know, to be honest, I've only watched that match. I'll have to go back and rewatch it. But I've only watched the one between the Midnight and the Rock and Roll maybe once, twice ever, because that shows how much it really doesn't mean much to me. When you have two teams. And in this case, Stan Lane had already taken the place of Dennis Condry. Um, that are as legendary as the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express. You put them in a wrestling ring. And, and you, you take your four best wrestlers. And you put them on a 30-foot scaffold and say, Here, I hope you don't die. 
Oh, and that's the strategy. Did it, Don't die. Did it really get anyone over? Like, you fall. Like, they didn't fall off the scaffold. They would kind of work their way down and then fall 10 feet above the ground. The only one that took the legitimate fall was Jim Cornette. Yep. And, and if anything, you wanted his mouth to break, not his two knees. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, and, um, I, I, go ahead. I tr- truly despise this match. And all the way to when PN News wrestled in the final scaffold match. And if you remember him, he was 400 pounds. Yep. It's just not a logical, like, who booked it, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know, when they looked on the weight limit for some of the equipment used to make that scaffold, they said, he weighs 400 pounds? No, he, he's busting the weight limit. So, that, I mean, that could have been but, dangerous for other reasons. But Starcade here, Starcade 87, as you review it on the network, so much potential for this card. And oh, absolutely. They, re- they really, they, I mean, they blew it. And, and here's, here's where you start. Listen to this combination. First match on the pay-per-view is Eddie Gilbert, Rick Steiner, and Larry Sabisco wrestling Sting, Michael Hayes, and Jimmy, Jimmy Garvin. So Hot Stuff International from the UWF taking on the Freebirds with Sting. And you start your pay-per-view with a time limit draw. Yep. Nobody won. Nobody won. Um, but then nobody really, you know, ugh. nobody really, you know, squashed on it. The same, a time limit draw, who wants to see that? I mean, what you saw then was, you know, three great wrestlers against three other great wrestlers fighting, 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 and nobody could uh, beat the other one. And it, they pushed each other to the limit, and that was it. But here, here's a chance. Every one of these wrestlers comes from the UWF. All six of I them. Don't, I don't. Oh, okay. I was thinking um, Jimmy Garvin never was. Well, no, he was Mid-South, and I'll, I will include that. Mid-South was the precursor to UWF. So you I get the potential. Mid-South. Mid-South was the predecessor to UWF. They changed in 86. And then here we are in 1987, UWF, six wrestlers, Sting, Hall of Famer, Michael Hayes, Jimmy Garvin, Hall of Famers, Larry Sabisco, somehow a Hall of Famer, Rick Steiner should should be a Hall of Famer, but his brother's mouth is probably going to keep him out for a little while. And Eddie Gilbert, he, he died way too soon. And should be a Hall of Famer if he's not already. But oh, oh and, and don't forget the people who were with them as well. Um, David Allen Precious. Well, on Jimmy's side, but the first lady of World Championship Wrestling, Missy Hyatt, was on Eddie Gilbert's side, Hot Stuff International. 
And I'm sorry, Precious, Baby Doll, none of them had anything on 1987 Missy Hyatt. <laughs> yeah, she was, yeah, yeah, she was rather nice. I'm not, not going to lie. Now, 2020 yeah, Missy Hyatt, yeah. not so much. But 1987, it's something different for for the audience. It had potential, and they started off with the time limit draw. And nobody gets over. Well, and this is where we rebook this. Who would you have win this one, and why? I don't even put this match on the card. You just leave it completely off? So when we rebook this, I'm not I'm gonna have these wrestlers on the card, but I am not gonna have this match on the card. It's a very dull way to start a pay per view. So if I were to do it you, you well, let let's go through the card before I go through how I'd rebook it. Okay. Uh next match. Um, Here, this match fascinating. You have the UWF heavyweight champion, Doctor Death Steve Williams, and you put him against Barry Windham. Great match because Barry Windham is a five star wrestler. Yep, no argument there. But the argument here is. You have the UWF heavyweight champion, a legitimate destroyer in Steve Williams. And you never merge the UWF heavyweight championship with the Mid-Atlantic or the NWA heavyweight championship. It never happens. So a good match, but a missed opportunity. What do you hmm. think, Steve? Well, um, let me see. I mean, because even I mean, you just look at this on paper, and you're thinking, "Oh man, this had to have been a great match." But as far as the opportunity to merge the UWF with the uh, NWA World Heavyweight Championship, I would guess the reason they didn't do that is because it would give more legitimacy to the UWF than what Jim Crockett wanted to give them. It was kind of how... um, Go ahead. Why do you buy them? Why do you spend $3 million or 12 in today's dollars to buy the UWF? They wanted some of the wrestlers. They wanted some, but they didn't want the brand. So you you talk about the Crockett mistakes at the end. This is it. Because do you you buy anything in your house and immediately devalue it after you put it in? Nope. Uh, Another reason why they may have bought them was to uh, do it before Vince McMahon did. This is during the time he was, you know, he had already started – shutting down territories or, you know, just flat out buying them, uh, making them go out of business, and then, you know, taking over their, their actual areas. Um, and he got to the UWF, so Crockett got to the UWF before Vince McMahon did. 
Uh, but then they didn't know what to do with it. They were just like, we're doing this so they keep Vince from getting it. Well, you're not not exactly accomplishing anything. You know, you're just wasting money, and we all know how it turned out. But anyway. So, uh, rebooking, uh, obviously another discussion is would you rebuy the UWF if you were Jim Crockett? And if this is what you're going to do with it, the answer has got to be no. Hey, what? That sounds like an idea for a future podcast. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it, it really does. You, you have this, and, and I'm going to bring the this theme is going to come up a lot tonight. Just yep. blown opportunity over and over. Even Vince McMahon, when they did the WCW invasion after he purchased that company, he took the WCW title. Granted, he had Booker T lose it to The Rock. But they put it and made it as part of the tournament that Chris Jericho ended up winning and becoming the super champion. It took the United States heavyweight championship and merged it into the company. They left the television title and that's a different discussion, but they brought the WCW championships chronic and merge them with the WWF titles. But Crockett only takes one of the three titles from the UWF and merges them into his company. And since you talked about the Skywalker match first, that was the third match on the card. The fourth match on the card is the NWA World Television Champion Nikita Koloff wrestling the UWF World Television Champion Terry Taylor with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and they merged the two titles. And I remember this even to this day because that was in the Starcade advertising over and over that Terry Taylor, UWF Television Champion, was going to wrestle Nikita Koloff, and that was the highlight match. And here's actually something else to think about. Here's what they really thought about the UWF Heavyweight Championship. It's the second match on the card. Is that the championship? Yes. Or is that the wrestler? Did Um, they think of the championship like that or the wrestler? Um, well, it's hard to think negative about Steve Williams or Barry Windham. So, you know, I'm looking at it saying, okay, this is supposed to be their prestigious title, and it's the second match on the card. You know, if anything, I think I would think the TV uh, title would be the second match. And if you wanted to have, you know, Dr. Death and Barry Windham, you know, come on later on before the Skywalkers match, and the Skywalkers match is number three. Which meant they had, you know, they probably already had the scaffold set up, but then they had a, they had two steel cage matches later. Right. So, um, and normally when they put the steel cage, this is the way it was back then. Now it's different because 
now they lower the cage down, they they lock it in, but then as soon as the match is over, boom, they can raise it again. Yeah, technology is awesome. <laughs> but, but one thing with the television championship match here, uh, psychology. So Nikita, Nikita Koloff's finishing move was the Russian sickle. Terry Taylor, before he was the Red Rooster, great wrestler, he goes after the arm and the shoulder the entire match. And then with outside interference, they go after his leg and try to weaken him like you would in a legitimate fight. And you hear the crowd pop in the video when Nikita Koloff pulls off the Russian sickle after being worked on for 10, 15 minutes, the whole match. Of all the things that they did on this card, this match they got right. I just question the order of the matches um, for this. You know, granted, they they needed something after the Skywalkers match because they had to dismantle stuff. Um, you know, so they had plus, and even though the rock and roll and the midnight nice on the scaffold wouldn't be as exciting, it's still the rock and roll. So I mean. Girls are going to be screaming for the rock and roll. Maybe this is in Chicago, right. so who True. knows? You know. Um, but yeah, I mean that's another one on paper. Nikita and Terry Taylor. Yeah, I can see that being a good match then. Because um, Nikita, I mean, he was a no name. He he may not have had the technical skills as Terry Taylor, but you know he could still give you a decent match. Um, and yeah, we've already talked about our. You know, our thoughts about the um, the Skywalkers 2 match. Um, Match 5. Yep. The Brain... Well, they were later on to be called the Brain Busters, but Arn and Tully against the Road Warriors. Now, key key thing here, remember it's in Chicago. Right. So the Road Warriors are booked as from Chicago, even though they're from Minneapolis. So they 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 get the... I always thought that was weird because even on the their documentary, they said they, they at one point they both lived in Chicago and apparently they knew of each other in Chicago and then they both ended up moving to Minneapolis. Um, a- Animal is still a kayfabe machine. Yeah, but but going going through this fifth match, Dusty booking at its finest. So. Arne Anderson, Tully Blanchard, they attack um, Road Warrior Hawk's leg, mess him up the whole match, use the ring post, everything that they would do as horsemen. Um, They knock Tommy Young out of the ring. And Animal throws Anderson over the top rope. They do a doomsday device. They pin... Uh, Arn Anderson the replacement ref counts the pin Earl Hepner counts the pin and after the crowd pops and they're so excited that the Road Warriors have won the titles again they disqualify him and say Anderson and Blanchard won the match because of the over the top rope yep 
being a Chicago fan and, and uh, uh, you you pay a hundred dollars for your ticket, your favorite team wins, and then they turn around and they screw them. And this may have been one of the few matches that Anderson and Blanchard won the entire year. Because <laughs> you know, well, they, I'm pretty sure they, you know, pulled some fast ones and got got some pinfalls by cheat. You know, at some point, but yeah, you, they were usually disqualified, but they still kept the title because that's how wrestling works. And then you go through now, match number six is what I referred to in, in last week's episode Dusty putting himself over in the steel cage against Lex Luger. Yep, and I think it would, this was one of those. I think everybody knew what the result was going to be because they kept talking about how Dusty had never held the United States title. You know, I'll remember Dusty's never held it. Oh, did you know Dusty's never held the title? He's never held that title. And so it was you know, pretty obvious you know, what was going to happen there. Now, I will say I actually did like the finish, how, it, um, how the finish happened when J.J. threw the chair um, over the top of the cage, almost didn't get over because apparently you know, he can't throw over the crap. But he got nope, the chair over it, the top of the cage. <laughs> yeah. Um, he got the yeah. chair over the cage, and then Dusty, while well, Luger tried to pick it up, and Dusty did a DDT on the chair. And boom, done. Now, why the referee didn't look and go, hey, where did the chair come from? <laughs> you know? Are, are but, there rules in a steel cage match like that? You know, you if you're in a steel cage match, you can throw dude's head off the cage. You can rub their face along the the cage itself to make them bleed. You know, and just turn their face into hamburger. Um. So, they never actually say, "Oh, it's a no disqualification cage match." The cage matches usually, well, clock it. Any non WWE cage matches. They were always pinfalls. And WWE was the ones where they got to escape the cage. Well, to me, that wasn't as exciting. Even them climbing over the top of the cage. Oh, who can make it over the top first? Well, to me, if that's what your deal is, why don't you just have each other just race over the top of the cage? That's not exciting. Pinning somebody in the middle of the ring in the cage. The cage is there to keep people either from running or to keep other people from coming in. That's the whole reason they had the cage. All of a sudden, there's a chair there. Now, Dusty being... Dusty being dusty, why do you book the false finish with the ultra-popular Road Warriors winning the titles before you legitimately win the U.S. title? I think it keeps attention there um, or to keep people interested uh, in where the Road Warriors is still the chase because that was when they keeping people interested in the chase but if you do it too many times, and that's where, you know, the the quote-unquote dusty finish, um, that's where he used it way, way too much. And this is one of those examples. You know, and not only that, but why couldn't you give the fans of Chicago a pop? Hey, right. your home, your hometown boys just won. That'll keep them coming, you know, for the next time. 
And then as you go through the main event, Mr. Charisma, Ronnie Garvin, against the nature boy, Ric Flair. And watching watching the match over again, um, not a tremendously bad match, even using no, 2020 no. standards. Yeah, I mean, Garvin could go. I mean, like you said, I mean, yeah, he he didn't have, like, real great uh, charisma. But, I mean, but you didn't doubt how tough he was. And so, Flair's chest, <laughs> Flair's chest looked like hamburger. He, the, the Garvin stomp was the was the most engaging move he did. <laughs> but and, and definitely different. But uh, e- even the finish, all, all Flair did was send Garvin into the cage and, and pin him to win the match. So is he really that tough? Right, that that killed a lot of um, what the match, what was going on in the match. You know, because if, if that's all it took, well, you just took everything that Garvin did, you know, and you completely minimized it. You know, you um, you you know, crapped all over it. Um, because yeah, and it was into the cage, you know, just the defense part of the cage. It wasn't even into like one of the steel pole parts of the cage. That to me would have been more believable, you know, because it still poles would hurt. Into the cage, which is flexible and it's bending as you hit it, and, you know. But I, I view everything about Mid Atlantic after the UWF purchase as a failure. So they they purchased it in April of '87. Ran it as its. Uh, separate entity for most of the 87 before Starcade. And then the one star that they definitely got out of the UWF was Sting. And his ascent started in 88. And then you can argue a few lesser stars, uh, Rick Steiner being a television champion, then the Steiner brothers tag team. Eddie Gilbert did pretty well for a while. The Freebirds did well for the next five years. Eddie Gilbert and the Freebirds both, they were already stars before they ever went to the mid South slash UWF. Um, you know, um, and Eddie Gilbert, I mean, like we said, I mean, he had, he left us too soon. And then he also went to um, ECW um, after mid Atlantic. He and Mick Foley had some pretty classic battles there. You, you can but, say the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express were already introduced to the Mid-Atlantic audience so that you can't claim them as UWF only. No, no. Because um, they had toured quite a bit. Terry Taylor was absolutely ruined when he finished his contract after he lost the television champion championship and became the red rooster in, in WWF. Yeah. yeah. And, and the big, big turn 
is JJ's misinterference during the Lex Luger Dusty match ended up taking Luger into a unofficial bunkhouse stampede type match during the house circuit where he turns on the horseman. So that planted the seed storyline wise. But Ronnie Garvin was done. He went to WWF after this. And who's your next challenger for Ric Flair? After this, it was who's, Ricky Steamboat. No, Steamboat was 89. Uh, In 88. What I'm reading was Sting. It, it became Sting at Clash of Champions. Sting. but Yes. That match made Sting not the booking prior to it. Damn. And now I'm going to have to look more scared because I know Sting, he started, you know, coming up, um, coming into the limelight some, and you could tell he was going to be big. Um, but it's, it's only mentioning one match. So, yeah, honestly, I don't know who was Flair's biggest rival in 88. Um, 88 became Luger. Eventually, yeah, you're right. It became Luger after um, Luger won the tag championship with Barry Windham during Clash 1, turned against um, Barry Windham, turned on him, ended up winning the U.S. title, and they matched, wrestled later. But overall, like, what did Starcade really accomplish? Starcade 87, the way it was booked originally. Uh, besides just taking people off? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't, I don't think it really, it didn't move backwards necessarily, even though it could have. Um, it certainly didn't move, really move anything forward. Oh, and one interesting thing about the UWF championship, because I was thinking, well, whatever actually happened to it, it was dissolved about a month later. It was they just ended it. So that really, like I was saying, what they what they thought about the UWF Heavyweight Championship, they did not want to merge it with um, with the NWA Championship because it would give it more prestige and what they felt it deserved. They didn't want it on the same level um, as the NWA um, because the UWF, yeah, name was universal, but a lot of people still looked at it like it was the Mid South. It was very regional. Um, the NWA well, was actually technically everywhere. But. So the NWA was everywhere, but Mid-Atlantic was still on the East Mid-Atlantic Coast still, of... Yeah. Yep. Um, and I don't, so, I don't think... The, I think the Mid-Atlantic Championship, though, had already also been dissolved at this point because they were trying to get away from being a little regional or looked at like a regional promotion. Uh, and they because of like, hey, Vince has taken over. We need to do something to compete. They were really the only ones who could legitimately compete. Uh, well, and then they, they blew it. They blew it. And, and I say they blew it starting with the UWF merger. Yep, because they did not take and advantage of opportunities that they, they could have had. So when you when you buy a territory like they did, 
you have the potential for new stars if you present them as such. And they like the UWF stars weren't really on Mid-Atlantic television. No, they weren't. So starting in April when they were per- purchased, a failed opportunity even to show Gordon Soley doing highlights of the UWF TV for five minutes once a week. Um, introduce the stars you just bought. That would make sense, or would have made sense. And here, as we rebook Starcade, I'm going to blow up pretty much the whole card. (laughs) And not because I'm a knowledgeable booker. I just think my idea is a little better here. And I think had it been executed, you had the potential and you saw this type of thing in later Starcades when New Japan took on WCW um, in the early 90s. Um, you've also seen this type of thing in the WWF during the Survivor Series. When after they purchased WCW, and I'm thinking a true UWF versus Mid Atlantic invasion takeover angle, and um, I would book Starcade around who's going to come out on top. And so you're saying first match gone. So the first match is. I want to highlight my 20 best available wrestlers, not on the card somewhere else. For the UWF, this is going to be mostly tag teams. Uh, I want the Hot Stuff International in there. Sting, the Freebirds, Rick Steiner, Eddie Gilbert, um, the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express. For Mid-Atlantic, Want to get Barry Windham, um, qu- quite a few of the guys that are just not not on the card. And in this circumstance, first match, one, a battle royal always has a winner, right? Usually. And in this case, I'm going to take the winner – and I'm going to make him the first title contender for my heavyweight champion as it comes out at the in the main event. So my choice here would have been Sting because he was go ahead he was planned for Ric Flair at Clash One. And then my alternate choice would have been Rick Steiner because he was playing the dumb character, the the lovable, goofy, goofy guy. And he was starting to get fan support. And he would have been a legitimate wrestler to take on Ric Flair um, as soon as January. 
Um, the one thing I would do different was Sting, and um, this actually is going to affect another one of the matches on the card. Swap, take out Dusty. They don't need to be in there. Put in Sting. Put in Sting over Luger with the backfired interference from J.J. Dillon, and then go ahead and switch Luger now because of it. Don't wait until, you know, the bunkhouse stampede, which nobody wants to watch anyway. The people are watching Starcade. And, you know, I mean, and we knew Luger was going to, he was going to uh, drop from the horseman anyway. Luger was always more of a singles guy. Right. Yeah. So, so in in this case, because I'm doing an invasion angle, I have Sting winning, and I have the UWF up one to nothing. Okay. So, for my second match, and, and you'll see I changed it here, is I'm keeping Nikita Koloff and Terry Taylor to merge the TV titles. And I'm not changing a single thing. I think Nikita Koloff was the right choice. It was a good match. And perfectly building my my card the way I want. And having the two organizations at 1-1 after the second match. Okay. For my third match... And this is going to be different. So I'm changing uh, a few things from here on down. I'm going to take the Road Warriors from Mid-Atlantic. And I'm going to have the Sheep Herders, also known as the Bushwhackers in the WWF, but more violent form. I prefer them as the Sheep Herders, to be honest with you. I love the Sheep Herders. Did not like the Bushwhackers. So their most violent form in the Sheep Herders and the Road Warriors and the Sheep Herders only wrestled in 1984. That was it? That was it. Wow. You know, the Road Warriors had just started. Three years later, they could have had an ultra-violent match. You could have put a Chicago street fight on this where they went all through the crowd. Uh, In this case, I did not. But the UWF tag team titles held by the Sheep Herders never merged into Jim Crockett Mid-Atlantic promotions. So they just disappeared. They also just disappeared. So in this case, because the Sheep Herders have two representatives on the outside, I'm going to have the Sheep Herders win this match with interference from Rip Rip Morgan. Keeping the UWF titles, and I'll explain why in a, in a bit, but putting the UWF up two to one. Okay. So I'm going to keep going. Now, in this case, Dusty Rhodes is my head booker for the time being. And if that can be rebooked, I'd consider that. But not really an option. So I I have an obligatory Dusty Rhodes match on the card. And because he's going to put himself on the card anyway. And he's going to put himself over. So the person I chose to make him look the best is the gentleman Chris Adams, 
who was in UWF in 1987. So he's coming off a WCCW heavyweight championship, a tag team with Gino Hernandez, who had passed away by then, and he's in his prime. So he's heelish enough to give Dusty a good match, and in the type of shape and condition to really bounce around for him. So in this case, I have the matches tied up at 2-2. And in another surprise, I have Arn and Tully, who are the NWA Tag Team Championships holders, and I'm going to have them wrestle the Fantastics. I think that would be a good match. Now, this match never really happened. So, very hard to find this match on video. But I do have Arn and Tully winning, but the Fantastics put up a tremendous fight, just like Sting did at the Clash 1. I think they come out looking like stars wrestling Arn and Tully even in a losing effort. Um, so let's see. Go ahead. Match six. You you put in Sting here, and in this yes. for this, I'm putting in Lex Luger with JJ Dillon, and I'm going to put Terry Gordy in with the Freebirds on the outside. And here's yeah, why. And, go ahead. In 1987, Terry Gordy was an absolute beast. And he he was only part-time in Japan. And being UWF, because this is the UWF that I'm purchasing and I'm running for my invasion, Terry Gordy was the first UWF champion. He was. So I, remember that. I still ha- I still have Luger losing because JJ interferes, but I had the Freebirds and Terry Gordy going over and looking good, tying my invasion up at three three. I'm just curious where was Terry Gordy during his time uh, to begin with? Because why was Michael Hayes team with Jimmy Garvin here? Because. There was an issue, but and you saw it later. Um, Terry Gordy wasn't going to get the money he wanted from Jim Crockett, and that's why he ended up going to Japan. I think this it sort of changes that, and if he does go over to Japan, that takes your U.S. title, promotes it overseas positive effect um, on the business domestically. Right now I've got my two organizations tied 3-3 and I want to actually merge the UWF title and the NWA title. I am going to put Steve Williams and Ric Flair in under the conditions of a lumberjack match. So why not take the 20 best stars from each group 
put him out on the outside of the ring and this match is going back and forth. Cheering for their side. As all lumberjacks do, all hell's going to break loose. And in this case, I have my horsemen interfering, all three of them. Ric Flair wins. Mid-Atlantic would come out on top, but you have built-in stars with the UWF roster. I'm actually going to throw a slight swerve in there. Um, and it goes back to the Luger match and how it, it could affect this one. Um, Luger loses the title because of the interference from J.J. backfiring. He blames J.J. The horsemen interfere in the Lumberjack match except for Luger. Right. You know, so um, so I think it would continue on the path that you're going, obviously, but then it would also go on the path with Luger, you know, having a quicker face turn than what he actually did. You know, but that was just one thing that just popped in my head. So, it, it, as I do this, as I'm booking this, you're using historical hindsight. Mm-hmm. And well, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Hey, hindsight's always right. But it, I, I have the horseman standing tall at the end of Starcade. And what's that do? That keeps Arn and Tully in. Jim Crockett, eventually WCW, in 1988, they never go to the WWF. Well, as long as you pay them correctly, um, that was the reason they left to begin with. And they weren't winning. Well, you know, Arns even said wins and losses really didn't matter to him. Um, But it mattered to Tully. Yeah. But look what we have with opponents coming out of Starcade. So Starcade has reset the roster. You still have Ric Flair. You still have Sting at Clash 1. Now, I have the face Freebirds ready to wrestle the Horsemen in whatever combination they go to. So you have uh, the four free birds. I will have four free birds and four horsemen. Okay. That can explain some interesting matches. Then you have the potential for the UWF title and the NWA tag team title to merge at a later date, creating another event. You still have Lex Luger separating from the Horsemen. We like that. Mm-hmm. And you have Steve Williams still going on to form the Varsity Club, Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda. You, you still have all these options. And actually, Mike Rotunda, that was a name that was actually missing from Starcade. Um and I know he had to have been there during this time. Um, and I actually did like you, because um, I was actually looking over the message that you actually sent to me, so I was kind of reading along while you, were, um, while you were talking about it. And the first match, um, 
I would just take it completely out um, because it really didn't elevate anybody. Um, and I don't mind a time limit draw. You can have a draw and still elevate somebody. I mean, some you know because if the person if they're giving them a push against somebody, they're like, well, this guy's really good. Oh man, he just you know he took so and so you know uh, wire to wire. He was able to handle. Them. They couldn't beat him. That could actually elevate somebody. And not as much as that they're actually winning, but you know, it could still make them look good. Uh, the Rock and Roll Midnight, hate to say it, overplayed already. I mean, they always brought it. They always had some good matches. What was the point of it here? There was no title on the line. Um, right. So what was the, I mean, if you were to say, hey, it's a rivalry, hey, great. You know, cool. Skywalker's match? Mm, you know, because you're trying to redo what you did last year. And it worked with the Road Warriors because it was new and exciting. This year, it's not. Um, Kid and Terry Taylor, yeah, you know, I agree. Keep that one. I'm telling you with the Road Warriors, have the Road Warriors go over, have them get the titles. I mean, there may have been some other stuff going on behind the scenes we didn't know about why they didn't give the Road Warriors the titles. Um, but I'd say they're in Chicago. Give them the belts, you know, yep. because everybody knew the Road Warriors needed to have the belts, like, all the time. Um, Dusty and, and Lex Luger, you know, I said before, take Dusty out, put in Sting. Um, and, you know, with the same outcome, you know, so now Sting's the U.S. champion, which would also put him in perfect position to still take on Flair at Clash 1. Like, hey, the U.S. champion, he's the automatic number one contender, which is the way it should be. Put him against, you know, the, uh, the world champion. And a lot of people, they would say, oh, champion versus champion. Yeah, yeah, but it's not title versus title. But uh, Flair over Garvin, um, I don't think they ever intended Garvin to be a long-term champion anyway. I don't think Garvin could have been a long-term champion. People, they weren't get a lot, they were not getting behind him as it is. I mean, I like Garvin, but I didn't see him being a long-term champion, you know, even back then. You know, but Flair, I mean, when I think the NWA world title, I always think Ric Flair. Maybe it's because he was the first champion I knew. But, you know, but he held it. Well, I can't really say he held it for so long. He held it so many times. But if you accumulate the time that he held it, you know, it was years. Dusty held it three times, grand total of what, three months combined? Yeah, not not very long. Not very long. But with your changes, how did you enhance Starcade? Well, I need to add one more match because I took out a match. Now that one, I have no idea because I'd have to. I'd rather actually look at what the rosters were then and what the climate was then to actually add another match. So I'm going to have to, you know, I'll, I'll lose some points in that. Um, how would enhance it? Well, the Skywalker's match, ooh, yay. You're looking at people on top of a scaffold. It's not exciting. So that match would automatically be improved. Road Warriors winning the titles. The crowd's happy. Um, Dusty and Lex Luger. You know, take out Dusty, put in Sting. Sting was already a, you know, Sting could do it all. I mean, but he was more of a high flyer then. Um, yep. You know, so that match would definitely be more exciting. Um, I don't know if there was enough buildup for it to be a cage match, and there was already a cage match after this one. Yeah, that's something that you don't want to, you know, have too many of those. Even though it's not the first arcade where they had two cage matches. 
Uh, they did it two years prior with um, the Aquit match, you know, with uh, Magnum and Tully, and then the World Tag Team Title match with the Rock and Moles against the Andersons. You know, so it's not the first time they did that, but it's like don't go to the world uh, too many times. Yeah. But Ric Flair over Garvin maybe have a different finish to it, same result, but just all of a sudden, oh, he's sending his head to the cage. Well, you've been doing that all, all night. It's a cage match, of course. You know, if I, that was how you finish a cage match, then you finish it up. Every cage match you finish like that. Hell of them. Anyway. I don't see any enhancement to the product with Ronnie Garvin being heavyweight champion. No, but I mean, that would have been, we'd have to change that before Starcade. Right now we're changing Starcade. So the result would be the same. I would just change how how it happened. Um, so in my change, I don't have Ronnie Garvin as champion or on the card. He's off the team. Um, That's going to be I'm awesome having... for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I have to have a little talk with my son after this. Um, but speaking of potential matches, bringing up your son, a, a leather strap match being r- rugged Ronnie Garvin. Um, something that goes with his persona. A steel cage didn't seem to fit. No. Um, obviously Ric Flair couldn't do a boxing match or a brass knuckles match, but this event, like this is not a Starcade to me. No, it's, um, because Starcade needed to be like the pay-per-view of the year, you know, kind of like WrestleMania is now it's the big one of the year and they didn't pull it off. So you you look at it and it becomes a disappointment the moment Ronnie Garvin becomes the champion. And if you talk about the Mid-Atlantic downfall, it started with the UWF purchase, got worse with the putting Ronnie Garvin as, as your champion, basically killing your 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 product. And then by 1988, you're overspending because you spent way too much on the UWF. You're trying to expand and your product compared to the WWF at the time, the product kind of sucked. It, it, it was they had great wrestlers. I was a mid Atlantic NWA loyalist. I mean, I always preferred them over WWF, um, but it was it was getting <laughs> it was getting kind of difficult during this time. Because look, look what WWF does. Um, they plant the seeds for Hogan Andre two at the Survivor Series. So this is what WWF competed with uh, against Starcade that year. 
So you got Hogan Andre two. Is there any ca- match on the Starcade card that would make you want to watch that over Hogan and Andre two? Oh God, no! Since I was also considering Hogan Andre two was on national television because I watched it live. Well, you, you watched it live. Well, no, singles wise, we watched that in February eighty eight. But the right. second time they right. wrestled was Survivor Series. Oh, in, in the Survivor Series matches. Which competed right. against Starcade in 87. Right. Was this the year the first um, Survivor Series? It was. And that's the, that's the thing. Taking what you know now that WWF is counter-programming against you. Why do you book that card? You, you want to talk Survivor Series. UWF is trying to take over, and we have to fight to save our company. Every match egos in play. is intrigue. But... It's no wonder Starcade got blown out of the water against Survivor Series. You could you could predict every match on that card. And I remember watching Survivor Series because we had a Siamese fighting fish. And, I mean, those don't have a tremendous long lifespan to begin with. But we had bought a cable box for the very first time to watch Survivor Series. And when we installed the cable box, we accidentally put the fishbowl on top of the cable box. <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> and didn't uh, you didn't, fish, didn't, you? didn't realize it until um, the water in the fishbowl was bubbling during the main event. And um, oh no! I learned a lot about animal care. So my eight-year-old self, um, don't put fish bowls on top of cable boxes. <laughs> and on that note, we have about 20 seconds left. So, Kyle, thank you for all your insight today. It was, um, I loved the way you rebooked it. Uh, we will have to visit UWF, UWF uh, purchase you know, here pretty soon. On that, I will bid you a good evening, sir, and nice talking with you. You have a good night.